right. Grateful to be here. Anna, thank you for asking me to speak. Um, the newcomers, I forgot your names already, but I'm stoked you're here talking to you guys tonight. Um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love what we do here. I'm back here from literally the death of hell, some of us, and we get the change and see others grow and see how this program works. Nate, thank you for your lead. That was awesome. I remember seeing you right when you came in. He was the most awkward dude. I was trying to have this conversation with him. He was at my house and I was just asking questions, like one word answers, and then just see where he's at today. It's, just, it's amazing to see. Um, yeah, I, I'm just so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. That's not something I would say uh, when I first came in here, no doubt. It's not something I said for a while up today. It's, it's something I hold dear to my heart. Um, I have a sobriety date of November 5th, 2017. My sponsor is Tom Phelan. I have a couple home groups. One is the Monday night 12 and 12 meeting right down the street and uh, Friday night fight club that Nate was talking about. <laughs> so uh, it's a group of rough edged men. Uh, we are very serious about our recovery and serious about helping the newcomer. And uh, I, I like that sense of unity that that meeting has. It's had its ups and downs, but I'm glad I stuck with it. Um, someone once said, you know, you don't really have a strong home group until you build a resentment. And uh, <laughs> thank God for a group inventory. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Brooke says in a, in a general way to share, you know, what we used to be like, what happened and what we're like now, what I used to be like is so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable in my, in my own skin. I, I couldn't, even as a kid, I, I had an allergy to life, really. I just had this normal reaction of talking to people, looking you in the eyes and just wanting to, to be a part of. I, I never felt like I was going to be a part of. Um, I grew up in South Orange County. We moved around a lot. Uh, my parents had me when they were 15 and 16 years old. So they were in high school. Um, yeah, so that, that was a, a little different. My parent, everyone thought my dad was my brother until even now, actually. But uh, <laughs> he loves hearing that more than anything. <clears throat> um, yeah, we moved every single year. I didn't go to the same school until high school. So I had create these relationships and these friendships with people. And I had to break them and then try and create new friendships and relationships and break them. And I never thought I'd have consistency in my life with, with the new friends or people in my life. My mom left uh, when I was around two or three years old. And I never really, long story short, I didn't have a relationship with her ever since then again. Uh, my dad did remarry to a woman um, that I still call my mom to this day. She means a lot to me. And uh, thank God for the men's process. We have a really strong relationship today, stronger than we've ever had, actually. And uh, they got married when I was six years old. Um, back to my childhood, yeah, I was just super uncomfortable hanging on by a thread. And uh, I played sports. So that was one way for me to really try and cope and, and be close to other people. I love baseball. Started wrestling when I was young. And I was pretty good. Um, I was, uh, once I became, you know, around 11, 12 years old, I discovered punk rock. And I was just that kid wearing all black with hair that covered my whole face. I didn't want anyone to notice me, but I'd be super pissed off if you guys didn't come up and say hi to me. But if you guys did come up and say hi to me, I, I would have no idea what to say. Um, that's hi. No, my name is Ronnie. I'm going to walk away. But um, yeah, just, uh, and, you know, a lot of people I've seen have had a drink when they were younger. I can relate to Nate. I didn't drink till I was older, but I definitely um, acted out in irrational ways. And uh, I was, not a good kid. I, I, my grandparents basically helped raise me and uh, my, my grandpa had cancer. So I was just kind of on my own, just 
raising hell. And uh, I just had, I remember I was already good at lying from, I can't even remember how young I was, but I remember the first time I learned about stealing. I was like, okay, this is great. I had this obsession <laughs> with Pokemon cards. I don't know if there's any of the 90s kids here, but I remember I was seven years old and I went to this kid's house that my parents went to church with this other parents and this kid and his name was Joshua and he had this uh, holographic Charizard and I really wanted it, it was super rare. So I stole it. <laughs> I stole it and I got away with it and I got exactly what I wanted. I was like, okay, so I can lie to get what I want. I can still get what I want. And that's just kind of how I learned. And uh, I, I truly believe my human condition is that, you know, I have all these fears towards life and these things that are thrown at me. So I'm going to act out in irrational ways to get exactly what I want. And I learned that from a young age and kind of piled up as I got older and older, it'd be different things I'd steal, stuff from the store, cars, and it had different uh, consequences later on. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't have a drink till I was 17 and a half years old. Alcoholism does run pretty deep in my family. Um, saw what it did to my dad for a while, saw what it did to my uncles and other people in my family. I still have an uncle that's... Um, He's still, he's homeless. He's like almost six years old, smoking meth on the streets. And I, I, I saw that as I lived with my grandparents, coming in and out, coming in and out, stealing money and stealing stuff and leaving. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be anything like that. So I stayed away from that. Um, but I remember the day that I drank, um, it was after a CIF wrestling meet. My friends all, they were all drinking, having a great time. They had this sense of unity that I, I longed for. And um my friend Kevin, he, he was my best friend. He still is now, but uh, he, he's like, once you just have a drink, what's the worst that can happen? And here I am now talking about it. But um, I, I had a drink and I, I, I don't remember too much about it. Um, definitely blacked out and I woke up with the worst hangover ever. Um, but I remember that I felt a part of, I wasn't afraid to talk to someone, go up to them or talk to that girl that's crushing on all year. It didn't matter to me. I had that confidence and that, that sense of unity that I've been looking for. And um, I wasn't someone that started drinking every single day from the get-go, uh, not at all. Um, but uh, every single opportunity that I had to drink, I would take it. And in between that drink and the next drink, after maybe a year, um, I, I had that itch, I had that obsession. And I knew that I was different from my friends that were drinking, but I couldn't really put any words to it. I didn't know why I couldn't stop drinking when they'd have just a few beers. You know, and I had to keep going, keep going. And then I eventually it turned into, okay, well, you know, Sunday, fun day, start drinking on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, here and there. And then it became an everyday thing. Um, I, I felt like I, I, I might've been an alcoholic, but like many people, when I came in here, I thought an alcoholic was someone that had a brown bag, uh, homeless, whatever that meant. Um, thank God I have a sponsor that taught me what it means to, to be an alcoholic today. And I'm okay with that. I'm grateful for that. Um, <clears throat> So my alcoholism ran deep for, for a long time, for, for about basically eight years until I really gave this an honest shot. And that's the sobriety data I have today. Um, you know, I, I was the king of justification and that could be a character defect that can come up for me today still. Um, I always had reasons as to why I, I was about to do something really great, but I had this excuse why it didn't happen, you know, like, I really wanted to be a firefighter and I had all these excuses as to why I didn't pass the test, but I, I couldn't stop drinking the night before, no matter what. And I was talking about it the whole night. I'm going to take this test tomorrow. I'm going to pass it. I'm going to be a firefighter. And I drank to like 5 a.m. and the test was at 7 a.m. And I just couldn't do it, you know? And then all these excuses, I, I had an answer for everything. Um, 
you know, music was a big part of my life. And I, and I worked at a, <clears throat> at a venue for about from when I was 17 until 21. And uh, I got paid 45 bucks a night to uh, work at this venue and basically get drunk the entire night. And then my friends were in bands. We'd go up and down the West Coast, Mexico or Vegas and uh, played in some bands. And I just wanted that. I had that, that unity right then and there. But what it was is really like I needed that drink when no one else did. And um, I had that separation between me and my fellows before I knew what being an alcoholic really was. Um, you know, I, I had some great jobs here and there, and I found out I was good at sales, good at manipulation. And uh, it didn't take long for me to, to figure that out as well. And uh, once I figured that out, I got this great job. And my version of success growing up was as long as I have the stuff, the house or the cars and the girlfriend or whatever may be, then I'm okay. I had no God in my life. I, I resented God so much that I tried to convince you guys why he wasn't real. Um, maybe when I was around 13 or 14 years old is when I started having that sort of attitude. Um, I, if there is a God, why did my mom leave me when I was three years old? If there is a God, why did uh, God take my grandpa away due to cancer? If there is a God, well, how come I grew up poor in South County? Super uncomfortable, you know? And... Um, <laughs> And I had every reason as to why like, my life should be better. And I'm just sitting in this pity party of, of feelings and, and telling you why it should have been different. Um, yeah, I just had the attitude and I, I, I labeled myself an atheist, even when I came in these rooms the first couple of times. And I thought I can get through the steps without doing two, three or 11. And uh, I'd be able to stay sober. Uh, but I didn't. And um, yeah, so I, I got this job and I was working from home, making this money, but I had this eerie feeling inside myself. And like, I just grew up with so much anxiety and depression just hanging on by a thread and I needed something different. This opportunity came up and um, well, I quit my job and I had some money saved. I was like, well, I'm going to try and figure myself out. I'm going to find myself somewhere. And it was just weird. This girl from high school hit me up on Facebook and she's like, Hey, what are you doing for work? How are you these days? Like, well, I'm unemployed. And uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I, I found this opportunity where we, uh, I can teach English in China. I was like, would you want to do that? I'm like, okay, that sounds perfect. I'm going to go to the other side of the world. I'm going to find myself there. It's going to treat my alcoholism and drink less and I'm going to be okay. You know, I have my parents on my back. I have my family worrying about me so much. Uh, so that's exactly what I did. I uh, got a passport and about three months later, I was on a plane to China. I, uh, the stewardess was so pissed at me because uh, they didn't serve, they didn't let me buy drinks, but they gave out free complimentary wine that was like in a cup this big. And I, it was like a 15 hour flight. And the entire time it's asking for more and more wine. And I'm so upset. Um, yeah, it was a year long program. I got there. Uh, no one there had my skin color, skin type. Everyone there was Chinese, let's put it that way. Me and this white girl named Tina, and then we walked down the street and they look at me and like, you like be riding the bikes, like almost like running into things, take pictures of us in restaurants. I'm like, dude, they sold it out like this really nice city, and and the city is like a famous city. It's called Xi'an, but it was in a really rural uh, area of that, of that city. It was basically a farm town turning into a city, and uh, it, it was it was something else. And they told us there's streets we, sh we shouldn't go down because they think that we'd be American spies and they shoot us. I'm like, all right, this is not good. <laughs> Anyways. Um, Yes, it was a year-long program, and I got kicked out after about three months, and I went home, and uh, I couldn't stop drinking when I was there, and uh, people that do that kind of thing, they drink a lot, guys, I just couldn't stop, and um, I even found different drugs there, and things like that, went home, and back to the same thing, I'm like, okay, well, 
tried to go into the other side of the world, didn't work. What can I do now? And, you know, I frequented this place called California Girls uh, off in Anaheim and made a friend with this girl. And uh, she worked there and uh, we moved in together shortly after. She liked to, to drink a lot. She liked to pop pills. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. So we did that for a long time. And my alcoholism just ran deep. And, and uh, we moved into this little studio apartment. And by the time we were kicked out a year and a half later, there's no doors in the apartment. There's windows bashed in. Was, we, we sold the washer and dryer before we got kicked out for money. Uh, lost the cars. And uh, it, was a, it was a totally depressing time of my life looking back at that. And um, so we moved into motels and out of this rental car with their two dogs. And uh, that was probably getting to a point to where uh, alcoholic destruction, uh, most definitely. And what happened is um, for the next three and a half, four years, I, I lived in motels selling drugs, drinking, and um, just living that lifestyle. I couldn't stop getting in, into uh, institutions, near-death experiences. And there's a lot of trauma that was hand in hand within that point in my life. And um, this is my experience only. And my experience is that I put myself in a position to be hurt every single time when I had some sort of traumatic event. I know that's not the, <clears throat> some experience with other people. I know some people are actually victims, but, but I played the victim when I wasn't actually a victim. And, uh, and that's my experience. And I, and I use that again as to why for people to give me attention, people to, to pity me, uh, poor Ronnie for this happening, poor Ronnie for that. And it's held on to those things. I wanted to stick out and be different. I wanted to be a black sheep in the world. And even coming into AA, I try to be a black sheep among the black sheep, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, you know, I had little spurts of sobriety, 30, 60, 90. Um, there's this guy that my, my dad grew up with and he got loaded with my dad and my uncles and he's sober. And uh, my dad knew he was sober. So my dad kind of connected me with him and Every time I got out of jail or like try to go to a sober living or whatever it may be, you got connected and I try and do a one, two, and three and kind of BS it. And I was never really honest. I didn't have that point of desperation that I, that I needed in order for me to stay sober and to do this work. I had this reservation that I can drink with other people, like the, re the reading in the beginning of uh, this meeting. Um, the, the switching from Scott to Brandy, all that stuff and, uh, and more about alcoholism. It's, I can relate to so much. There's different drugs or drinks I would have and I literally do that. I'd switch from this drink to that drink to try to wean off from this drug and that drug and try this drug to wean off from that drug and try to find the perfect cocktail for me to be sober and it never worked. And my ideas never worked and I, and I thought that I had this, uh, this smart capability to figure out the world, to get through it and maneuver it and use people a certain way in order for me to get what I want. What I want is just completely selfish and self-seeking. I, I need things to really enter my soul into a way that I believe it should be rather than how um, you guys believe it should be. But my thinking got me into alcoholics anonymous, and I'm okay with that today. Finally, um, <clears throat> I woke up uh, in a psych ward on uh, November 5th, 2017. Uh, I tried to kill myself, and uh, I woke up in that bed, and it was uh, I finally found that gift of desperation. I had the desperation of a drowning man, and um, what happened is I found that willingness. I was willing to set aside different things that I didn't think I could set aside before. Um, it's in College Hospital, Costa Mesa. It's just crazy. Like looking back at the timeline, like I had so much grace in my life. It's been there ever since I, I can remember. Now that I'm sober, I can start to remember stuff and write things down and do a clear inventory of what happened and what I did, what my part is, and 
Grace is like an ocean around me. I can jump in any single time. I'm grateful that I can do that rather than jump in a bottle today. Um, but I had one more chance. And I really think that I am uh, one of the lucky ones. We all are one, one of the lucky ones. And um, I have this friend named Dan, and he says we're the chosen ones. But I think we're, I don't know, I think we're lucky. And I'm grateful all of you guys are here. Um, so woke up that day and uh, I called my sponsor at the time and I said, hey, man, I'm do willing to do whatever it takes. I said, okay, you got to set aside all your BS thinking, all the stuff that you think that you're going to do to to get back on your feet because it never worked. And um, that was the first time in my life I decided I wanted to listen to another man and see how what he says, uh, maybe it can take me through a different journey. Maybe coming to these meetings, the, those things that you guys share, um, maybe if you guys can do it, I can do it. And I love Alcoholics Anonymous because when I come in here, you guys share your brokenness. And when you share your brokenness, it touches mine. And, and something happens where it gives me hope that this can work for me too. The God idea might just work for me too. And eventually it did. And it always did. But I was blocked off from the sunlight of the spirit for so long. <clears throat> First, uh, man, that, that sponsor, <laughs> some people in this room know him, but he was super rigid in his certain style. And uh, I love him to death. I remember when I Got out of jail. My first four months of sobriety was in jail. He gave me clothes to wear, food to eat, paid for my sober living for a week. And if it wasn't for that man, like, I don't know where I'd be today. Um, but, but I'm grateful for a sponsor that helped me diagnose myself. Help me diagnose myself and figure out what exactly does it mean to be an alcoholic? I'm not an alcoholic just because I, I always run myself into the ground. The paralysis <laughs> is there because I have an allergy that from the phenomenon of craving and to go through that doctor's opinion more about alcoholism and uh, the rest of the chapters before we agnostics and find out what it meant to be an alcoholic and uh, that, that was super important for me because I knew I was different but I couldn't really put into words what it meant for me to, to be different from my fellows and um, that's when things started to change and uh, I remember when I got out of that psych ward I was there for 10 days and what happened is uh I had to go check in my PO, so my sponsor told me to do. And so I checked in my PO. I thought she'd be really happy to see me. So I checked in as an pee clean. And uh, <laughs> she took me straight to, to Santa Ana jail. And I went to Theo Lacey and then the farm. So first three and a half months of sobriety was in jail. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but for me to stay sober in jail is a super hard thing to do. But I found that willingness. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I, and I stayed sober. And I remember... Um, my, my mom and my brothers would come visit me every single Sunday and that sponsor would come visit me on Saturdays. And, uh, is I, I ran my mom. I just, I did so much for that woman and she would come in my brothers and they were scared to be in jail and visiting their brother, but, uh, they would come in and they would say something similar to me. My, my sponsor, my mom and brothers, they'd come in and be like, Ronnie, I, I love you. And I want you to know that I've been praying for you. So, oh God. Okay. Um, like that whole God thing again. And here I am thinking I have the willingness to, to try and set aside everything I think I know to be open to a new experience. What happens is uh, they kept doing that over and over again, saying those words, you know, Ronnie, I've been praying for you. Okay, mom. Okay. Uh, sponsor. And, um, you know, I had some time to, to really think about it. I did some readings in there. And uh, that's probably when I had my first, uh, first and second step experience was while I was in jail is really letting go of the fact that, you know, I can't do this on my own. Um, it has to be power greater than myself that can lead me back to safety. 
what that is, is like, that's telling me that I'm an insane person. And at the end of the day, I'm an insane person based on uh, my drunk log and what happens. And our first non-alcoholic trustee, uh, he had this, this reading and it said, not all insane people are alcoholics, but all alcoholics are insane people. What that means to me is that like every time I get sober, I'll have maybe 30 days or sometimes even a week or 15 days. And I'll forget of what happened, how I went to jail, how I overdosed, whatever it may be. And uh, I take a drink or a drug again, forgetting about the consequences of what happened pretty recently. And I would do that over and over again. Um, so I am pretty sure I'm, I'm an insane person. That's fine. What's going to bring me back? To, what's going to bring me back to that sanity is that power. And um, I didn't know it, it was really humbling experience for me to go from being that atheist that tried to, to convince you guys why God isn't real to the guy that's saying, okay, well now I believe in God. And um, that was probably the most humbling thing I've had to go through internally is the fact that I had to do that. And I was okay with that. And I remember before this sobriety would come in here and I, I try to get around the God thing by saying certain things and it just didn't really work for me and that's okay. But that, and that's my experience. And that's the great thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is that we get to have, have our own conception of God. Mine's probably totally different than some of your, your guys's and uh, vice versa. And that's okay. You know, it's keeping us sober. Um, and we're all here today. And um, I, I tried to hit the ground running and, and um, I was super uncomfortable coming into these rooms. And I remember my sponsor would take me to the Saturday night canning club, take me out to dinners. And my first commitment was at that canning club meeting and it was being a greeter. And I hated talking to you guys. I was really afraid of every single one of you. So I'd sit in the front or sit at the door and shake your hands and you guys would talk to me and ask me, Terrifying questions like, uh, what's your name? Uh, what's your sobriety day? And I'm just like burning in my skin. And uh, what happened is you guys would start to remember my name. And every, as weeks go by, you start asking me more questions. I start to feel a little more and more better. And I felt that unity um, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's something that I've been longing ever since when I was a kid. I was looking for that unity, whether it's in a drink, whether it's in some type of music or being the black sheep or whatever it may be. I want that sense of togetherness and feeling like everything's going to be okay. So ever since I can remember, I thought there's this daunting feeling like nothing's ever going to be okay for Ronnie. He's going to die before he's 25 and he's never going to be anything great, you know? And um, yeah, I, I came into these rooms and you guys gave me that, that warm welcome that I was looking for, you know? And um, I started to turn my will in life over to care of God. And I didn't really know what that was for a while. And uh, for me to say, I know exactly what God's will is today is I'd be lying to you. Um, I don't know what God's will is, but I know for me is it's to make sure I can be of service to you guys, for me to try and be connected to God, try not to be so damn selfish and self-centered. And for Ronnie not to get loaded, you know, I mean, not to get loaded, have a drink and to try and be uh, a nice person to all you guys. We're, we're all children of God. Um, <clears throat> And uh, I remember my first job when I got in that sober living was this uh, sticker shop. It was a printing shop and it was about two miles away, but I needed a job to start paying rent for the following week and they, and they paid weekly. So I was like, okay, living off some pizza for the week. And I got the skateboard and I got this job and I read my skateboard to this job and I had nothing in my pockets. I didn't have a phone that worked off Wi-Fi, and I never felt so free in my life. I remember skateboarding down this hill one day after work and I felt so accomplished because I had my first paycheck and like my first honest paycheck working as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and sobriety. It was just such a huge accomplishment for me. 
And um, I know that's something that everyone's supposed to do, but for an alcoholic of my type, that was a big deal for me to be able to do that and go back to my sober living, get a ride from someone and go to a meeting and uh, finally feel that togetherness was such a great feeling. Just the process of letting go, uh, all those, those feelings I thought I had, that way I can let the grace of God come in my life. Um, remember the first time I had to do a four-step, like I was super stoked to do this four-step because I resented all these people. And I can finally tell my sponsor, you know, and he can have some pity on me. And um, let alone, you know, I do this four-step and I write it out in like three weeks. I'm super, <laughs> I do it as much as I can down to like when I was a kid. And as I'm going through these, these things, these resentments and blah, 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 and I'm going through all the columns and, uh, and start checking off stuff. And I realize, you know, there's time I resent someone. It really is something that I'm doing. That's a part of my life. And uh, he's writing down this list of things as my character defects. I'm like, what are you writing down? That's a lot of stuff. And uh, he shows me afterwards and there's this list of things. And I was like, well, that's pretty messed up of you to kind of show me that. Um, but I had to swallow some, <clears throat> some large facts, of truth about myself. You know, I am selfish. I am self-centered. I, I resented my mom for a long time and blamed my alcoholism on her. And uh, my part is the fact that I held on to it forever. You know, I held on to that for such a long time. And um, she was a 16-year-old kid that had a kid and she didn't know what to do with him. And today I can forgive her, you know, and today that's okay with me. And, um, you know, the, those things that he wrote down, these, these, these character defects. And, um, you know, the book doesn't have too much on, on the character defects, but thank God for other literature like the 12 and 12. And I can understand now that humility is the spiritual touchstone of step seven, as well as the rest of her steps. And that's something that has shown me so much because I didn't really understand what the, the word humility meant um, or to be humble. You know, I thought it meant just meant saying, okay, you're right and I'm wrong. And uh, it's not really exactly what it is, but I learned how to set aside everything I, I thought I know to, to be open to a new experience and um, to be willing to grow, to be willing to uh, be open-minded to whatever it may be to help, help these other people. And uh, my men's process was pretty, <clears throat> it's pretty deep. Um, I strained my relationship with my family and it took a long time. On the top of page 83, it says, yet there may be a long road of reconstruction ahead. And um, I couldn't agree with that more. <laughs> you know, my parents are, they kicked me out when I was like, right when I turned 18, I was out of the house and uh, they just wanted me out because I was selling weed, being this bad kid. And my, my, my brothers are super young and they didn't want me to be a bad influence. But once again, I turned that to like, well, you guys are bad parents, blah, blah, blah. Like, you shouldn't have kicked me out. I wouldn't have became an alcoholic if they kicked me out. And uh, just so, so self-centered. <laughs> Um, but what happened is I was able to, uh, I, I was able to make things right. When I'm able to make things right, just talk to whoever it was, there's so many people and, uh, pay these restitutions because I am liable to drink if I don't pay my restitutions. And, and that's what it says. And I, and I really believe that. <clears throat> and, um, to be, be able to have my family in my life today is just something unreal, you know, to be able to, you know, I play softball with the sober team, plus my two little brothers. And it's so funny because they're not alcoholic, they're normies. And they're like hanging out with these guys, kind of like the guys from that meeting we're talking about and some other, and they're just like, they don't know these terms, but they're just like outlandish and they're having the best time and my family can come and, and enjoy these games and be able to see that. And I have that, I have that togetherness with my family again today. And uh, as a result of the men's, I was able to, to start a business for a while in the beginning of COVID as a result of the men's, you know, I was able to help 
um, a friend and help plant that seed about Alcoholics Anonymous and be able to answer his call. Um, that apartment that I lived in with that, that ex-girlfriend, my friend's parents, the landlords. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't good, but I was able to make amends to them. I, was, I couldn't get a hold of them for a while, but about a, about a year ago or so, I finally got a hold of them. I had this dream and like about my friend Jordan and I had this dream that he died of an overdose. And I was like, man, like I still need to get a hold of his parents. And, uh, I actually called his ex-girlfriend to get a hold of his mom. And um, I was able to go to their house and talk to them and, you know, tell them what happened and they make things right and pay that off. And uh, after I paid the money, there's one more thing that they asked I, I could do is try and be uh, a friend to their son. And um, he's not quite ready to be sober, but he's had some stints of, uh, of questions and being able to plant that seed. And that's something that's been uh, super important to me. And uh, I blamed him for a while too. He's the one that got me into hard drugs, but you know, um, today I can try and be of service to him, try to get him in these rooms. <clears throat> Alcoholics Anonymous is just, I know, I, I do get emotional about this because I can look back and see the progress of where I was and where I'm at today and just see uh, the people that get to get to stick around. And for a while, like, you know, I just had no idea what I was going to say when I started speaking the last week. It was kind of like coming in on my head. And I'm not the kind of guy that <clears throat> has things aligned instead of shoot from the hip and speak from the heart. But on Thursday, I was thinking about this and the prayer that we say at the end of the meeting uh, about the soul suffering alcoholic in and out of these rooms is really some depth and weight to that prayer. And uh, yeah, a few of us lost a friend recently. It's been like super hard. We had a memorial for him on Friday. And uh, that, that prayer, as uh, we end the meeting tonight, I hope that we can really have some sort of intention towards that prayer. Because there's some things I think, you know, those easy sayings that we come in and out of and those prayers, we don't pay too much attention to, but um, we start paying more attention to that. Because there's people, maybe even in this room that are suffering, I want you to know you're not alone. Um, it's okay to be suffering. I'm just glad that you guys are here. Glad that you guys are sober. If you're not sober, I'm glad you're at a meeting, you know? And, uh, and that's totally okay. And that's what these meetings are for. Um, my experience with steps 10 and 11 was, um, is the fact that I'm at a place of neutrality with alcohol. So I have to get down to causes and conditions and see how I can really be of service to someone, even when I'm thinking about how resentful I am towards them throughout the day. And for a spot check inventory, for me, I just have this scattered monkey brains. And I go through this day and I, I find out that like halfway through the day, I just feel so like, like there's something inside of me and like finally I can stop take a breath and talk to God and see you know how I can see how I can realign for the day how I, I can be back for service his will not mine be done as the says and um <clears throat> I don't know I just didn't know that I'd be able to find God the same way that you guys could but I get to find God through service and through prayer and meditation step 11 and also get to find God through sitting down with another guy and coming to these meetings and hearing you guys share your story um, cause once again, when I hear your story, um, I, I hear God through you guys. And when I hear God through you, your words are essentially holy to me. Um, so it's super important for me to, to set aside my, my, my judgment and my opinions of others. Cause when I'm being, a, a when I'm judging you guys, I can't be of service to you. And I remember some of the guys that I even sponsor now, like I would come into a home group and I judge them and like, Oh God, look at this guy sticks around. You know? And, uh, <laughs> And a couple of them, I started sponsoring them and uh, we had this, we've had this great relationship and we have today, 
since I set aside that opinion and judgment, it's just uh, insurmountable. And uh, I get to find service in different levels of AA and, you know, just being able, being able to sponsor guys, being able to come up and dress up this, I feel so like restricted in the suit, you know, and, uh, but I got to do it because uh, I have this respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. I have this respect for the podium and for you guys to share my story. And uh, that's exactly what my sponsors taught me to do. Um, you know, starting to do GSR was something that I was super excited until about halfway in, we got into Zoom and I was like, dude, this two-year commitment can't come any sooner, you know? Um, but being able to see what happens in the background of GSR and how we keep AA going and things like that, it's just a, it's just a great thing, you know? And um, there's a lot of things I've learned. There's a lot of times where I just didn't want to show up and sometimes I didn't, you know, but I end up showing up sometimes and uh, I'm grateful <laughs> for that. I don't know, like, and if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, if, I would, if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't be able to do what I do today. The, the life that I have is insane, you know? People say I have a life beyond my wildest dreams and uh, all of the promises have come true. And um, I don't know what, what it means exactly, a life beyond my wildest dreams or the promises that come true every single second of the day. And I'd be lying if that was the case, but... Um, when I have fear that creeps up, when I have anxiety that creeps up, I at least have a solution to, to come back to God with it. And um, I'm super grateful for that. And uh, a part of this, this journey for me is to stay grateful. When I start to, to lose my, my, my lack of gratitude, what happens is I start to be jaded in certain areas of my life. When I'm jaded in certain areas of my life, I start to stop answering phone calls, stop going to certain meetings or answer or hanging out with uh, a sponsee. And then I'll start to get resentful and then uh, resentful, you know, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to get drunk again. So it's important for me to gra be grounded in that gratitude. And today I'm super gracious and grateful for the life I have today. And uh, for you new guys, I hope you guys stick around. I am uh, open for sponsorship. Thanks for letting me share.